And parents, don't forget, if you guys need the, um, the, the, the activity sheets, Russ is holding some out. We've got a few left for uh, you or your, your kids. Man, that was good. That was good. I, I like that. What do you think? Yeah. You know, uh, what, what I like seeing is the different way that the kids decided they wanted to express their worship. I think that should be an encouragement to all of you. See, some of you like to worship, you know, like this. And we had some kids doing that too. And, and others of you like to do maybe a little bit like this. And maybe of you like to kind of do a little move in. I mean, it's all there, you know. It was all there. And the parents are going, oh, <laughs> oh, it's fantastic, fantastic. Well, uh, good morning, good morning, and um, if, uh, let me say a few things, since I know we've got kids in here, uh, it makes for a little interesting dynamic, and we're okay with that, parents, uh, grandparents, we know that you've got your kids, it's going to be hard to keep them to, to sit still and quiet, so, um, you know, do your best, if you feel like they're getting out of, out of control, we've got uh, the TV's on in the other room, feel free if you feel like you need to, to, to walk out and take them over there and then let them kind of run around and you can still kind of watch and, and hear what's going on over there. But please, uh, we know we've got kids, so uh, we're, not, we're not expecting you to uh, keep them absolutely quiet. We're also not expecting you to pinch your babies at 11 o'clock. <laughs> okay. All right. So um, here's what I thought we would do this morning. Uh, you notice when, they, when the kids walked in, they're waving these palm branches, right? And if you grew up in the church, maybe you have an idea of what that's all about. Uh, maybe you've just always assumed it's Palm Sunday, they wave palm branches, but you don't know what's the palm branches all about. Maybe you didn't grow up in a church, or maybe you didn't grow up in a church that, that celebrated it. So you're, you're asking, what's Palm Sunday all about what's the palm branch thing all about, and so we're going to look at that this morning, and we're going to be in the, uh, the Gospel of Luke chapter 19. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 19. If you need a Bible, there are some Bibles on the chairs there in front of you. Feel free to grab one of those. If you are using one of those, it's going to be page 1187, 1187. And if you don't have a Bible of your own at home, uh, that's yours. If you'd like to have it, that'd be our gift to you. So page 1187. Otherwise, Luke chapter uh, 19. And uh, as you're turning there, let me kind of give us a, a long 30,000-foot uh, overview. And by long, I don't mean like minutes-wise. Just uh, kind of summarize the Old Testament for you leading up into uh, what we see happening. Because, you know, long before Jesus ever stepped on the scene in, in, in the Gospels, God had a divine plan of redemption, and it was already in motion long before Jesus ever stepped foot on the earth. It wasn't that God was looking and saw that things had gone bad and decided, oh, you know what, we better send Jesus now. Uh, his divine plan had always been in place. You see, uh, our, our first representatives uh, of humanity, Adam and Eve, were, were created in the garden. Right? And they were created with uh, God's image, as is all humanity. All people are created to bear God's image. And part of that includes us ruling over creation, right? There's an order. We don't submit ourselves to creation. We are higher than the rest of creation, but we are supposed to live in such a way where we represent God to and among the creation. And so that was part of what God did with Adam and Eve when he set them in the garden was release them to go and live in such a way that they represented God to all of creation by ruling over them and uh, living in a way that represented God. However, as, as you know, what happened was they decided instead of representing God, they would represent themselves. And uh, they allowed themselves to be deceived, tricked into uh, taking that fruit from Satan, the serpent. And uh, since that day, 
all of creation has now been corrupted by sin. All of creation, that includes all of the trees and the ground and and natural creation as well as animals and humanity have all been impacted and corrupted by sin. And to this day, sin's impact is felt in all of creation. But from that very moment, even in the midst of that, that downfall that day, God had revealed that there was a divine plan of redemption. All the way going back to the earliest book of your Bible, Genesis, in chapter 3, verse 15, as God is uh, explaining what the curses are going to be, what the effects of sin is going to be, one of the things he reveals is that there's going to be a day where a man is going to be raised up And this man is ultimately going to triumph over Satan, the one who had deceived our our first representatives, our human representatives in the garden. And so in Genesis 3.15, we get that first peek into God's divine plan of redemption that there's going to be this person that's going to be raised up and he will ultimately triumph. As you fast forward through your your Old Testament, you come to about Genesis 12, and we're introduced to another man by the name of Abraham. This would be like Father Abraham had many sons. It's that Father Abraham, right? And and it's what, what God does with Abraham is he calls Abraham out of a place where he was worshiping gods other than the true God. And he he calls him away and he says, Abraham, I want you to follow me. I want you to leave your family, and I want you to follow me to the place I'm gonna leave you, lead you. And so Abraham, by faith, trusting this one true God who he had probably never heard of before or maybe had included just in his, his pantheon of other gods, decided by faith, I'm going to trust this God and I'm going to put it all in. And he left his family and he left those other gods that he's worshiping and he followed God where God would lead him. And he showed them this land and he said, one day this land is going to be yours. And, and, and God promised Abraham, look, you're going to have all of this land and you're going to have people, family, fulfill it. Because from you, Abraham is going to come many, many nations. And then God said, and I'm going to bless all of the world through you. All people will be blessed through Abraham. All types of people will be blessed through Abraham. And so we start to see that God is, is starting to, to ratchet down that divine redemption plan and, and it goes to Abraham. And then fast forward a little bit and, and some of uh, Abraham's greater grandchildren, we get a guy named Jacob. Right? We got a guy named Jacob, also called Israel, was his nickname. And Jacob's the guy who had those 12 sons, right? You probably know Joseph. Joseph in the amazing uh, Technicolor dream coat, right, with Donny Osmond, right? That's not what Joseph looked like, um, but it's, it's, a, it's a great musical. Um, but that's the Jacob, that, that guy. He also had another son. One of his sons was named Judah, the fourthborn. And God, as, as jo- Jacob is ending his life, he's at the end, he's on his deathbed, he's pronouncing blessings on all of his children. He comes to Judah, his fourthborn. And it's as he blesses Judah that we get another sneak peek into God's divine plan of redemption where he says, from the family of Judah, down the line, there's gonna be this person who comes and he's gonna rule. He's gonna have a scepter in his hand. And so we start to see that God's plan, this person that he introduced back in Genesis is still coming. And now we see that he's gonna be in some kind of ruling position, some type of kingly type position. Uh, several centuries later, uh, this guy comes up and his name is Moses. And this is, this is a man who, who God uses to deliver his covenant people, Israel, out of slavery. They had been in slavery for, for some 400 years, and God raises up Moses. And he says to Moses, you are going to be the one who delivers my people. And so Moses does that. You know, that's where he goes through with Pharaoh, and they have all the plagues. And, and uh, Charlton Hessen says, let my people go, right now. And uh, so Moses leads them out, and God uses Moses to deliver his people. 
And once again, God's covenant people are on their way back to the land that God had originally promised to Abraham. And sometime along the way, it's through Moses that we get another sneak peek into God's divine plan of redemption and into this person that he has uh, introduced. And Moses says, I've been representing God to you all, Israel. I've been speaking on his behalf to you, and and you have been coming to me, and I've been representing you to him. Uh, And there's going to be one coming in the future who's much greater than me. But he's going to do the same thing. He's going to represent and reveal God to you and to the world, and he's going to represent you before God. And so we learn through Moses that there's this guy that's still coming, this person that, that he had introduced back in Genesis, he's still coming, and he's going to be even better than Moses is. You keep going, and eventually Israel's got a king, and one of their greatest kings ever, King David, uh, one of the, the greatest kings of Israel who everything looks back to King David and his time ruling over Israel because, after all, David was a man after God's own heart. And it's through David that we get our next sneak peek where God reveals that uh, this person that he's been talking about, this person that he's going to raise up, he's going to be a king and he's going to be from the family of David. And so God's plan is still moving forward with this person. And we get a little more of a a peek into this person that he is indeed going to be a ruler. He is indeed going to be a king, but he's going to be the greatest king Israel has ever seen. And it's going to come from the family of David. You know, as you, you kind of read through the rest of your Old Testament, uh, you see Israel kind of struggle off and on, much like you and I do with our relationship with the Lord, right? There's good times and there's bad times. There's times where we trust God and there's times where we don't trust God. And you see the same thing happening with God's people, Israel, throughout the Old Testament. There's times where they can't see God, so they don't trust him. Instead, they make their own images of false gods because at least they can see and touch it. And then they put their trust in that. And God says, you guys are foolish for doing that. How are you going to worship things you've made with your own hands? Do you expect those things to deliver you? And so we see this ebb and flow, and God raises up in those times men, uh, men who would represent him and teach to God's people, and we call them prophets. The Old Testament prophets are some of the most famous prophets that, that Israel has ever known, and most of the time these guys would be raised up by God. And the reason that God raised them up was ultimately to go talk to his people, Israel, and say, hey, you're getting off track, turn back. Turn back now, and God will hold off on his judgment. So you've got, again, men representing and speaking to God's covenant people on behalf of God and bringing the message. And they did that for centuries, but uh, ultimately God's people did not turn back, and so they ended up in slavery once again. And that kind of ushered Israel into a period of silence, into a period where there was nobody being raised up to speak on behalf of God to the people, to represent the people before their God. It was years of silence, some 400 or so years, where there's nobody coming on the scene calling God's people back. And so it's in this time that hope maybe began to wane. I mean, what happened to that promise of God? What happened to that person that God was going to raise up? Hope begins to wane and be placed on other people, other things. They stop looking for that one person who God said would ultimately triumph over Satan and who would, who would be better than Moses, who would be a king like David, who would represent God. They've stopped looking, or maybe they've started looking in different places. And so maybe they've started at this point to think God really, really gave up on us. Maybe we've just gone too far. We've exceeded God's mercy. But then... As you are reading through your Gospels, and it's really just a flip of a page, you know, from Malachi in your Old Testament to Matthew in your New Testament, but in between those two pages 
are 400 years. Generations have come, they've lived, they've been born, they've died, and God has not yet brought that person. But then this guy shows up on the scene and kind of shakes things up. He's a little weird, a little different, right? His name is John. Some people call him John the Baptizer because he lived out in the wilderness and he would eat bugs and he wore fur. He was a really different kind of guy. And, and just the fact that he was different drew people out to him. But when they would go out to him, his message was something that they had heard before, at least they'd heard passed down from their parents from generations past. And his message was repent, repent, turn back, to God. Stop doing what you're doing. Stop uh, trusting in what you're trusting in and turn your trust instead back to God. Repent. And he says, because God's kingdom is close. God's kingdom is at hand. And as people would repent and, and prepare themselves, he would baptize them in water, hence the name John the Baptizer. But one of the things that John did is he said, hey, there's someone coming after me. I'm just preparing his way. He's going to be much greater than me in fact, there's a time where I'm going to have to start decreasing so that he can increase. And there was a day where John was baptizing some, some people in the, in the river. And along comes this man, his cousin, Jesus from Nazareth. And to the, to the few that were by him, he said, look, there he is. That's God's lamb. That's the one who's going to be God's sacrifice to take away the sins of the world. That's him. And so we see that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, has now come on the scene. So it, is this the one, though? I mean, is, is this the one that, that back in Genesis, God said, hey, there's going to be this man that rises up, and he's going to ultimately triumph over Satan. Is that the one? Is this Jesus guy? Is he the one? Uh, you know, Abraham said to his son, I'm sorry, Jacob said to his son Judah, hey, there's going to be someone who comes from you, and the scepter, the ruling scepter is never going to depart from his hand. Is this the one? This Jesus of Nazareth, that guy, Moses had said, hey, there's going to be someone who's going to come and represent and reveal God to you, and, and he's going to, I'm going to represent you before God, but he's going to be much greater than me. Is this the one? You know, as you keep going, King David, God had said to King David, there's going to be a king on the throne, and he's always going to be from your family, David. Is this the one, Jesus of Nazareth? I mean, he is from the line of David. He is from the tribe of of Judah. And so Jesus goes and he lives, and, and as he starts his public ministry, he does things that only God can do, right? He, he starts healing people who are sick. He starts taking fevers away, stops bleeding that has been bleeding for years. He takes people who have died and he raises them up from the dead. People who have been tormented by demons their whole life and nobody could do anything about it. All Jesus had to do was rebuke the demon, get out of him, and the demons respond. I mean, this guy is doing things that are completely different. He heals blind people, makes people who could never speak or hear. All of a sudden, they can hear and they can speak. Is this God's king? So we come to Luke chapter 19 now. And Jesus has been walking around doing these miracles, teaching about the, the kingdom of God being close and now he's coming to the end of his life, end of his time. Of course, his followers don't know that. You and I know that as we read the Bible, but they don't know that. And so he is preparing himself to go into Jerusalem. And so look with me at Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28, and we'll go through verse 40. After Jesus had said this, he continued on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Now, when he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, telling them, go to the village ahead of you. When you enter it, you will find a colt tied there that has never been ridden. 
untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent ahead found it exactly as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and had Jesus get on it. As he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he approached the road leading down from the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all that mighty works that they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered them, I tell you, if they keep silent, the very stones will cry out. Palm Sunday is about a king and our response to that king. See, Palm Sunday is not just a day where our kids get to walk in and wave palm branches and and they look all cute up here and we get to laugh and get some good video. I mean, that's all good and great, but what we're celebrating, what we're remembering, what we're pointing to is a king. And it calls us to respond to that king. Palm Sunday requires that we respond to that king. And so in the first several verses here, Jesus is is preparing to go in Jerusalem and he gives some instructions, some very detailed instructions to some of his disciples. Go into the town, get this specific donkey. It's got to be a colt. He's never been ridden before. He's going to be tied up at this specific place. Go and get him. And if anyone asks you, what are you doing? Just tell them the Lord needs it. And so as these disciples go, they find it exactly like Jesus said. They go and they they go to that specific place. They find that specific donkey. And exactly like Jesus had prepared them, someone asks them, hey, what are you doing? And they respond in in kind, "The, the Lord needs it. And so they bring the donkey back to the Lord. But that's where it really gets interesting. So look back with me at the verses that we read. And we're going to look at verse 35, 35 and forward now. They bring the donkey back to Jesus and some of their disciples take, out, take off their cloak, their outer garment, and they put it on the back of the donkey so that Jesus can then climb up and sit on this donkey. But what happens after that is really, really what's more amazing. See, the rest of the people who still had their cloaks, they start taking them off and they're laying them on the ground in front of Jesus and this donkey. Now, when a king would come to town, the way you would prepare for that king to come to town is you would make sure the roads are all good and you would make sure the potholes are all filled in. And then usually you would roll out a carpet for that king to walk in at some point. You would roll out some kind of carpet or some kind of walkway for that king to come riding in on. And so as these people, his, his, his disciples are laying down their cloaks, they're making for Jesus this royal carpet, if you will, because they recognize who he is. But but see, it doesn't stop there. If you were to read the same story in the gospel of Matthew or the gospel of John or Mark, you'll, you'll see some different details that Luke didn't give us. Things like they also went and they grabbed palm branches. Matthew tells us they went and they cut palm branches and then the people started waving the palm branches. Because one of the other things you would do in that region when a king was coming was you would take palm branches and you would wave them in the air as a way of celebrating the coming of that king. And they were singing praises and they were celebrating, they were shouting. Luke tells us they were saying in verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And if you were to read Matthew, Mark, and John, they also tell us that they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna means save us. 
But by the time Jesus' day had come along, Hosanna had really started to just be used as another way to just sing praises. Hosanna, save us, praise the king. And so everything the crowd is doing yells, this is a king, and we are going to treat him as a king. We are going to respond to him like a king with praises, with the appropriate uh, protocol, by laying out the carpet, waving the palm branches. We are celebrating the coming of a king because the crowd understood at least in part this was the one that God had been promising. This was that one that God's divine plan of redemption was all leading to and in whom it would be fulfilled. This was God's king. Their response was to respond to God's king with worship, with praise. Now, they must have been doing a really good job because the, uh, the religious leaders there, the Pharisees, the pastors and teachers of Israel of that day, they were looking on too, and they clearly understood what the crowd was doing. They clearly understood the implications of the carpet and the, and the palm branches and the, palm of the, 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 the psalm, the praises that they were singing. They clearly got it because if you look with me at verse 39, they go to Jesus and they say to him, rebuke your disciples. Stop them from saying these things because they clearly understood they were ascribing to Jesus praise that only befits God's king. Jesus was the Messiah, the promised one. And they're telling Jesus, you've got to stop them. That's blasphemy. You can't allow that to go on. Jesus doesn't stop them, though. Instead, he looks at the Pharisees and he says, I tell you, if they keep silent, the very stones will cry out. If they don't sing praises, if they don't welcome the king that God has sent, the very stones will wake up and they will do it. In other words, he's saying to them, you better join in. You're missing it. Because if they get silenced, everything else will respond to God's king. Jesus got it. Uh, uh, The crowd got it. This one that God had promised for so long had finally arrived and he was going into Jerusalem and they were celebrating their king. See, Palm Sunday is about a king and it's about our response to that king. It's a day that we celebrate and we prepare ourselves for Easter next week, but before then, we've got to prepare ourselves by responding appropriately to God's king. And so in our, in our verse this morning, you saw two groups, right? You saw the crowd. The crowd got it. The crowd understood who Jesus was. They understood that Jesus was sent from God and he had come to rescue all of the world. He had come to rescue and save sinners of all types. There was no sinner beyond his, his mercy, beyond his reach. And so the crowd responds by acknowledging who Jesus is. The response for us today is we need to acknowledge who Jesus is. He's God's king. He's God's promised one. He's the savior who has come to save sinners. Some of you have trusted in that, but maybe you need to remind yourself and allow and ask God to stir that affection back up, stir that passion back up for God's king so that a day like today, while it's cute and and it's great and, and we let our kids lead us, it doesn't stop there for you. But instead, it leads you to continue to reflect on if people then recognized him and we have so much more to understand about him because of the books of the Bible that we have that they didn't have. We have a responsibility to respond 
and to respond with praise, to respond with worship, and to respond by faith. That was the, that was the crowd. Some of you need to stir that affection back up. You need to set your mind on things that are above so that when you think about Christ and you think about and ponder who God has sent and what he has come to do, you don't get too far from knowing and remembering he came to save a sinner just like you. But then there was the Pharisees who they, they couldn't see who Jesus was. They didn't want to see who Jesus was. They didn't like him. He was disrupting their life. He was, he was drawing attention away from them. He was doing things that, that they weren't doing that made them look bad. And really, they just didn't want to be bothered by him. And so instead, they went to Jesus and said, hey, silence your people. Because that's exactly what, what the enemy would want. That's exactly what Satan would want. Silence the people from acknowledging who Christ is. Don't let them speak about it. Don't let them sing about it. And Jesus says to them, and he would say to you today, if you find yourself more in that boat, you've not acknowledged who Jesus is. You don't recognize him as God's savior, as God's king. Instead, maybe you find yourself rebelling against God and rebelling against his king. The very name of Jesus maybe is is distasteful on your lips. Jesus would say to you, you know what? There's coming a day. If you don't respond in kind by faith, if you don't respond with praise, hey, there's a day coming where all of creation is going to respond. If, if people are silent, the rocks will even cry out. You know, if, if the rocks, inanimate objects, are going to praise God, shouldn't we consider who Jesus is? Shouldn't you consider that uh, God sent a Savior for sinners? And that's not an insult to, to any person because every person in here fits in that category. Sinner. Someone who has not met God's standard. Someone who has violated God's law and therefore is in need of God's redemption and restoration back in a relationship with him. We all fall in that category. Some people's lives look messier than others on the outside. Some people look like they've got it all together, but on the inside, they're just as messy. And maybe you've gone further down a path than some other people have, but it doesn't matter because the bottom line is there's not a single person exempt. Every person falls into that category of being a sinner in need of God's saving and his grace. And so every person has to come to the cross. Every person has to come to God's king and decide, how am I going to respond to Jesus? And that levels the playing field. That humbles every single one of us. There's no room for boasting. There's no room for bragging. It doesn't matter if you only needed a little bit of grace versus a whole lot of grace. The bottom line is you needed grace. And apart from God doing it, you couldn't, have, you couldn't have done it on your own. So some of you need to know that God sent Christ to die for sinners. And what he requires of us is a response of faith. Like you saw the crowd responding to Jesus by faith. God requires us to acknowledge who Jesus is. He is God's son sent as our savior. He died for us so that we would not experience God's condemnation. And then he rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, it validates every single one of his claims. It proves that what he said was going to happen, happened. So therefore, what he says he can do, he can do. 
And when we place our faith in him and we repent, like, like what John the Baptist was saying, repent, we take our trust off of whatever it is we're trusting in, whether that's, hey, I'm just, I'm okay. You know, I'm not that bad. Or I'm gonna do whatever it takes to be, to be as good as I can. Good conduct will get me in. Or, or whatever we think that is going to satisfy God on our behalf, we've got to take our trust off of that, repent, and put it all on Christ. If you're a betting person, it's like putting it all on Christ, right? Put it all on red or black. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands, but that's what it's like. You put it all in. The difference is you don't lose. And so I'd ask you this question, you know, because some of you are saying, well, what if it's not true? And let's go there for just a minute. What if it's not true? What do you lose? What do you, what do you lose? Right? I mean, you consider Christ, you consider his claims, and let's say it, it's not true. What have you lost? If there's nothing else to this life, and, and, we, and when we die, we die, and that's it, what have you lost? Nothing. But if the other is true, if there is life after this, and God will hold us responsible for how we responded to his king in our lifetime now, then the response we give to Christ now makes all the difference, and we lose a whole lot more if we don't put it all on Christ. So if you're a betting person, weigh those odds. So Palm Sunday is more than just about waving branches. Let that be a reminder to us this morning, all of us. God sent his king, and it requires a response. A response of faith, a response of praise, acknowledging who Jesus is. So God, I thank you for our kids who have led us this morning. Thanks for the palm branches that are a visual reminder of a king. Thanks for the songs that they sang of praise and worship uh, to God's king. Thank you, God, that you didn't leave this world lost without Savior, without hope. That, that promise you made so many years ago that you have followed through on it, that when you said there is going to be a person who will triumph over Satan, who will triumph over evil, who will redeem all of creation, God, you followed through. And that person is Jesus the Christ. And now, God, in your mercy, you are holding off for many years now and coming back because you're in your mercy. You want the fullest amount of people to be able to respond. And so while some people might look at your delay in sending Christ back and your delay in finally judging all things as weakness, you tell us it's actually mercy. Because the moment you come back, we no longer have time to respond. So God, there's people here this morning who need to hear that message, who need to know that there is a time, we don't know what it is, but you have sent Christ to die for sinners so that we would not have to experience your judgment. So God, if there's some here who, who maybe find themselves more like the Pharisees and, and really would wish all these Christians would just be quiet about this Jesus guy, God, would you, would you soften their hearts? And would you do it, God, not by humiliating them, but by revealing your love to them? Would you show them that this, this Christianity, though it may get distorted by followers of Christ, in its purest form as it comes from you is all about your great love that compelled you to give your son on behalf of people who were not loving you so that you can make them lovely. So God, we need that message. We need that good news. We need that hope. And Father, for some of us who maybe we've, we've trusted in Christ, we, we, we acknowledge that Jesus is our king, but you know, God, it's all so easy for us to just get away from, 
from that. And, and yes, we acknowledge Palm Sunday, and yeah, it's about a king, and yes, Jesus is the king, but we know we don't live like that. If, if people were to look at us, they wouldn't know that by the way we live. God, would you stir up our affections? Would you break the calluses that have built up in our hearts? Humble us so that we might respond to the king with praise, with thankfulness for your great grace. These things I pray in Christ's name, amen. With that, if you're able to stand, will you please stand and I will dismiss us. And so your God did not leave you lost in a world that was corrupted and impacted by sin. Instead, he sent his king to make that right. Go and live as people whose God is faithful to fulfill his promises, even when we are not. Do it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you guys. This is amazing.